He is called Necron 99. He is one of Black Wolf's assassins. He travels the land destroying the believers of magic. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 184 and our movie this week was 1977's Wizards. Joining me to talk about it because like me he hadn't seen it before from the Botch Podcast. It is he who is Steve. Steve, how you doing? I'm well. Hi, hello, good morning, happy birthday. How are you? <laughs> So you you had not seen this movie, but you were aware of it. What kind of what sort of background or history do you have with this at all? So I'm I've actually never seen any Ralph Bakshi movies. Um, I'm I'm well aware of him as a uh, as as a filmmaker. I'm he exists very very much in my uh, film awareness. I'm light cone as it were mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Fritz the Cat. And the animated Lord of the Rings, yep. um, and this particular film, which you know, the the, the poster itself is iconic. Oh yeah. Um, it, it, even people who've never seen the movie, don't know anything about it, probably have seen the poster once in their lives. Um, and I had never seen it. I knew uh, I'd, I'd I'd seen a couple critiques kind of on Bakshi uh, in uh, in general on okay. on YouTube, and I wanted to see it. Sure. So so now I have. I'm kind of the same way. I have seen a little bit of Bakshi. So I've seen uh, his animated Lord of the Rings. I actually very much like that uh, mm. that version. It's <clears throat> It was the, the next year. It was actually 1978 that that came out. Um, and I'd seen long, long, long time ago, I saw uh, Fire and Ice. Um, I remember nothing of it. And uh, I've seen Cool World as well, which is sort of, that one's very weird too. Um, oh, that was Bakshi? That was Bakshi, yeah. I lied. I have seen a Bakshi <laughs> film. Now, I haven't seen any of his early stuff. I haven't seen, um, uh, what is the, um, well, Fritz the Cat, and there was one called um, something like Heavy Traffic, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Some of his earlier, very uh, more controversial stuff, we'll, we'll say. Um, but I hadn't seen Wizards, and like you, I was aware of it. I've seen, you know, it pop up on lists or critiques here and there talking about Ralph Bakshi. I understood it to be more closely related to something like star Wars because of the mm-hmm. way it's been talked about. Right. So, uh, it was not that, and it was very different from that. Um, in a lot of ways, marketing well, people, the marketing people would love you to think it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy to think this came out the same year as star Wars. Or just just a couple months before that, from 20th Century Fox, Fox mm. Fox had both of these. They gave George Lucas. I can't remember what the budget was for uh, Star Wars. It was it was a small budget in terms of like filmmaking, but it was still pretty substantial. In the I think 20 million, I want to say something like that sounds about right. They gave Ralph Bakshi 1.2 million dollars to make this animated film, and you can see some of that on there, but oh, absolutely. There were, there were some cost cutting, uh, corners cut that, uh, that give it away. But 
what I'm curious about is just as a movie watching experience for your first time, what'd you think of it? Um, so uh, I don't know how much you, you know about me, particularly in my relationship with media. Um, uh, I, I know we, uh, we connected through our, our mutual friend, Philip Keating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tend to be extraordinarily critical of the media I consume. Um, I'm big into, to, to writing. Uh, I really, really like a, uh, universe uh or script that's very um coherent Mm -hmm. uh and i was like from what i've heard about this guy this filmmaker and from what i've heard about this movie i really need to turn that off and just kind of soak this in um and um and i did i was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna think about it too much i'm going to like i'm gonna turn off all the lights in my house i'm gonna turn my volume way up on my tv and i'm gonna sit on my couch and I'm just going to let this film kind of wash over me. Okay. And if you let that happen, it's a trip, man. It um, is. <laughs> this film is a whole mood, uh, as, as they say. It it is absolutely wild. Um, there, y- y- you'd think you might have a beat on it, and then it kind of throws a, a curveball at you, and it'll just um, it'll switch uh, tone, it'll switch style, it'll switch completely um completely in animation um it is just a a wild ride um very strange very funny a lot of character uh to it and um the the budget definitely shows but uh man they they managed to put a lot of charm and character into it despite those uh obvious restrictions yeah i i think one of the things that because I, I sort of had the same thought as like, I I tend to be kind of the opposite end where I sort of just like everything. And once I, sometimes I may watch something and not love it that first time, but I might be willing to give it a second watch and sort of then I can I can appreciate for what it is. Um, there are times where I just watch something and I'm like, nope, no, like I, uh, for this show, a few months back, I watched the M. Night Shyamalan, The Last Airbender. Okay. The live action uh, adaptation of that series, and it was awful. And I have no desire to ever watch it again. It just bored bored me to tears. <laughs> I have never heard another opinion on that movie <clears throat> other than basically exactly that. So if and if I don't like something, it's got to be pretty bad uh, because <laughs> like I can I can suffer through so much. Um, what I liked about this was they went whole onto we're going to make something brand new and we're going to build a world. We're going to tell you all about this world. Plot-wise, not a lot really happening. Uh, there's sort of... It's a very simple story. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Now, I'm a fan of simple stories if you give me everything else around it. And they, they re- he really tried to build this world and give you characters. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Um, some of the characterizations are kind of silly. But like at the same time, I just I, I had a good time with it. Um, you got uh, you got Avatar, who's uh, um, he he, what was it? Uh, his voice actor Bob Holt w- um, mm-hmm. got cast because he did. Ralph Bakshi loved his Peter Falk impersonation. Is basically what yeah. he did. So he cast him, and he's totally just doing it's Columbo the whole movie. Um, uh, he did. Uh, he he voiced Grape Ape. Re- that's yeah. okay. He voiced Grape Ape. Holy cow! I did not realize that. <laughs> That's awesome. I watched a lot of Grape Ape when I was younger. I mean, it was, 
you know, Hanna-Barbera cartoons were all over the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, like, Avatar, and then you've got... Um, um, oh, why, why are names suddenly going away on me? Black, Eleanor. Black Wolf? Black or Eleanor, Wolf. oh. Well, okay, we'll get to Eleanor. But Black Wolf, uh, which is his twin brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved the the fact that they they do this very simple um fantasy story but they're they're born as twins and they're like diametrically opposed but i love the design of both of them they were because mm-hmm. they were so drastically different but they were they both looked so cool i just loved like there was something with avatar and that like short he's got the long beard but it's not white even though he's supposed to be playing thousands of years old um right. or millions i can't i couldn't really follow the timeline in things that uh, that was it's okay. So it is 2 million years after okay. I've got, I've got my notes right here. It's 2 million years after a nuclear war in our time. Yep. Okay. Then 3000 years after the foundation of the fairy kingdom, um, the brothers are born. Okay. Um, then an unspecified amount of time after that, their mother dies, they fight. And this is 3000 years after that fight. Okay. So, so it's about two million nine thousand years in the future, something like that. Okay. Um, and but I, I loved uh, I loved that design of Avatar. Um, with his great big feet, and he's always barefoot. Uh, what's funny is when we're introduced to him, he's smoking a cigar with his foot. Oh, that's I mean that's the fantastic thing about it is is in the intro, which is all sepia toned stills. Uh, that just kind of pan over, and this mm-hmm. is part of where the budget comes in. But they're actually the the stills are absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're fantastically done and shaded. Um, the, the they they the art style makes Black Wolf looks like this, the horrible evil guy, and makes Avatar look like this stern uh, gnomish hero. Yep. And then we meet him three thousand years later, and you're like, oh, he's old. He should be an old wise Gandalf ta- type character. He's just a dirty old man. Yeah, he's a drunk <laughs> and a little bit of a pervert, and he's just he's just this you know, like he's the good wizard, but he's just this this like doesn't doesn't give a crap old dirty old man. It's hilarious. Oh yeah, and honestly, like you're right. You you think okay, he's going to be this, and then you remember you're watching something written and directed by Ralph Bakshi, <laughs> right. and so here's our hero. Um, right, and then there's the design of Black Wolf. Um, is awesome with like the missing flesh on his arms, but like mm, yeah, the skeleton arms, the the skeleton arms that where the bones look reversed, like they don't look right. So it gives you this weird, otherworldly thing. I just loved, I loved that. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I liked the designs, um, a lot of the designs of characters, um, the uh, like the the sort of henchmen or troopers with their gas masks and like these really flat colors. Um, there's just something fun about those cause they didn't look, I mean, they're like Bakshi has his way of drawing everybody kind of dumpy looking too, which mm-hmm. I think is funny. Yeah, so they well, all got like, well, it's, it's, or most everybody. It's, it's very like, if you know about his origins, it's very, it fits. It's mm-hmm. that kind of dumpy and like, like for lack of a better word, it's, it's a, kind of a smutty look. Yes. Um, it looks like a dirty cartoon you'd find in like in in the in the playboy you know yeah like uh it, it, that's what it looks like it really does um, um and and, and like, i was oh go ahead good i was just gonna say like all the guys look kind of dumpy like that and then all the women 
do look like those exact car, car, uh, cartoons you're talking about that you would find in a Playboy or something. Exactly. Yeah. All the all the women are full figured and voluptuous, and all the men are uh, you know are are just uh, fat and drunk and uh, and unkempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much uh, in the style of uh, of uh, sitcoms. Yeah. You know, uh, there are no handsome men, but there are a ton of gorgeous women around. Yep. And it's always cold. The air conditioning is on everywhere. <laughs> No I, I actually what. have, I have a, uh, I have a, uh, a note here, um, because one of the scenes about halfway through the film, there is a, a, a wide shot of a, uh, of an interior, but Eleanor, uh, who is, uh, who is, uh, the love interest for Avatar, yep. um, is very small in the, in the background, but they made sure to make, let you know that it's cold <laughs> in that room. They, they didn't miss that detail. No, they're, they're just, they... Two little pinpricks, but you can see it. Yep, it's, they did. It's hilarious. Never miss that detail. If you've seen, I mean, when you look at Ralph Bakshi's uh, stuff, especially, so there was Fritz the Cat was kind of his first feature. He actually got started working on stuff like uh, Spider-Man. The old really? 60s Spider-Man cartoon no where kidding. he kind of got started. Um, but when he went on to do Fritz the Cat, and that was, Fritz the Cat was the first X-rated animated film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did that heavy traffic coonskin was another one of his, um, American pop. No, not American pop. That's somebody else. Um, fire nice. That, that was his, uh, his other like big fantasy one. And then of course, uh, the Lord of the Rings, which a lot of what he did on this, I feel like translated into his, uh, his version of Lord of the Rings. Um, which I kind of want to talk about in a little bit, but uh, yeah, uh, if you see some of his early stuff, like that's that's how he drew women always all the time. And so Eleanor, uh, Eleanor in this, voiced by Jesse Wells, is she's like I guess half fairy. She's a fairy in training. I, that was confusing. It, it it is confusing because she her father I think is an elf. She's has fairy wings, but later they meet fairies, and she doesn't appear to be like them, and doesn't treats them as different. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, and it's strange because there's like, it was supposed to be this time of peace between. So, all right, so there's the nuclear war that destroys mm-hmm. the planet, and it's millions of years later, and there are the irradiated lands where all the mutants are are coming back, and then the good lands. And on the good lands, it's fairies and elves and dwarves and all these precursors of mankind that are coming back. And they all live in mm. peace and they get along. Until in the movie, we we run into the fairies, in which case the fairies are antagonistic towards our friends here. Uh, and right. there's apparently a, a, an elf and fairy like conflict because the elf, uh, who is Wee, uh, Wee Hawk in this, are sort... It's weird. There's not like a traditional hero in this movie. Because you get like no, Avatar's kind of that, but not really. We talked, he's a drunk and a little perverted and, you know, he's not really your classic hero. Weehawk sort of is, but at the same time, Weehawk has like some anger issues because he gets really he upset really quickly. Yeah, he's he's very quick to uh, let out a mighty yell and charge at his opponent uh, uh, with a few different fighting styles. Oh, you best bet you'll be hearing that mighty yell a little bit later because absolutely there is no way I wasn't going to capture that audio. Um, 
but like Eleanor is the print, the king's daughter. Although Avatar is supposed to be running the the kingdom, I thought. I don't. Or the no, but he's not the president. No, I, I yeah, I caught this in my second plate. Yeah, in my second, Weehawk comes to warn uh, Avatar about the assassin that's going around trying to kill all the magic folk, mm-hmm. and he's just a couple minutes too late, and the, the president is shot. Yes. The president is some weird looking elf with a mime mask on. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) It's really strange. Um, But yeah, he says, I failed you, my wizard, to to Avatar. But then he looks at the president who's been shot and he says, I failed you, my president. Okay. So. Uh, So. uh, Hmm. Okay. Uh, But yeah, then there's like Avatar and Eleanor definitely have something going on. Uh, She's kind of all about him. Um, And. Then we had uh, Necron 99 is the robot who's sent by um, uh, our bad guy. Him and it's Necron 99 and then two other guys. And they're just sent off. Two nameless lizard goblin dudes. Yeah. Remind me of Thundercat. uh, Oh, yeah. I didn't think Mm -hmm. about that, but you're right. Um, So Black Wolf sends them off. All he says is it's time to kill. And they just go off. And so there's this thing with technology versus magic. Um, and magic sort of is also like a stand in for nature in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and I don't know why black wolf waited so long to send them out. Cause it didn't seem like it was that difficult for them. <laughs> they just sort of would walk into a place and shoot everybody and leave, um, with their whatever guns, but Necron, that's one thing this movie doesn't hold back on as an animated film is boy, they, they don't have a problem killing characters left and right oh, no, and no. in brutal just- ways. Popping caps. <laughs> they walked in when when Necron ninety nine shows up and shoots the president. He just like unloads on him. Oh yeah, and and then Avatar stops him and basically reprograms him uh, mm-hmm. as a robot into peace. Is what he yeah, names. He names him peace, uh, and then threatens to to <laughs> if he doesn't do what he says, then uh, I will uh, I'll I'll do things to you that'll take twenty years to kill you. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then he tells his friends, "I I promised him a world without pain." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, I'm the good wizard. Yep, exactly. Um, also, I'm sorry, Necron ninety nine, much better name. Should have just kept that. You don't need to read. Yeah, uh, it's it's a cool name, man. It really is. And I did uh, I did see where he was inspired by kind of an underground comic. Um, mm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna find because I remember the name of it. Um, but uh. He uh, he had just a cool look. He's on the poster, Necron ninety nine on his little uh, camel thing, um, mm-hmm. is on the poster for Wizard. So he's kind of the most for anybody who hasn't seen the movie. He's definitely the most iconic character. Correct. I didn't expect that. Uh, for he doesn't speak for the first thirty minutes, and then he only has a handful of lines in the whole movie. Yeah, and then I mean, spoiler alert, but then they kill him off. Sword, yeah. sword right through him, and he just sort of deflates, almost unceremoniously. Yeah. Um, the no, it's uh, Necron. You know, really interesting. Uh, the the whole thing feels like. Um, uh, I love how uh, media is kind of of cyclical, uh, and it'll become, you know, a thing will happen, and then 10, 20 years later, people become cynical about it, and they love to see subversion of mm-hmm. that thing. And this feels like just right around the right time for the subversion of the Tolkien uh, high fantasy. And yeah. It's like, 
let's make it let's make it nasty. Um, this is the this is the anti Tolkien uh, stuff and and characters like Necron ninety nine the you know the 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 killer robot that's reprogrammed uh, it feels a lot like that. Yeah, um, and I just uh, I dug that and and then you had um, so Necron ninety nine is riding that little two legged thing and they all have they all ride these they're like they look sort of like a camel but they sound like a horse uh but they're two-legged which apparently there was a cost-cutting measure right there they made them two-legged because it was cheaper and faster to animate than four-legged creatures so that's why they ride on everything that has two legs but it sounds like a four-legged horse when it's galloping so yeah um i loved the design of those though those things were cool oh they're they're uh they're definitely iconic as you say um and they all have a, every single one of the the horses, uh, the the two legged bird horse kangaroo mutants. Um, they're they're not all just generic the same. Each each uh, Eleanor's uh, avatars, um, Weehawks, and Necron ninety nine are all all have their own design and their own little kind of personalities. Um, mm-hmm. And even when you see it, when you see Necron ninety nine walk out as Peace for the first time, his original horse is there and kind of gives him a side eye like. Okay, dude. Uh, it's it's uh, really oh, interesting little touches. Like it that. would have been his second one because his original one got an arrow through the through the. Head. Oh, did it? it? Was that his second one? Yeah. Well, they cause... still made him look all evil. <laughs> <laughs> True. So maybe that's why he was the he he was giving him the side. He was like, I don't know about this guy. Could be. I mean, that's another another one of those where Ralph Bakshi uh, movie, and you got your your lovable little uh, horse creature and. Gets an arrow through the skull and puts it down, yeah. and it, there's blood too. Like, but it's weird because there was a lot of violence in this, but it's not, it's not gory like um, certain animation these days. Uh, the one that always comes to mind for me is um, if you ever watch Metalocalypse. Oh yeah, um, yeah and that gets the, the absolute over the top gore. Yeah, they go like over the top. This has a ton of violence, but it's a and a lot of blood for a movie that was rated PG. Mm-hmm. By the way, like this movie has the same rating as Frozen. Wow. Because <laughs> this was 1977 when PG meant something. Like back in that day, parental guidance suggested was you might see some stuff like this is pre PG 13. There wasn't that rating yet because that didn't come along until mm-hmm. the, the early to mid 80s. Um, so you could get away with a lot more in a PG film. Uh, so it was PG and then right into R. Yeah. Back, back then, wow. Yep. Okay, yep. yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of playroom uh, by today's standards. And that's that's how that happened was um, because you would have you had G, P, G, and R, and then X. And so what would happen is that P, G between P, G, and R was such a, a wide gulf, and they put um, what was it uh, Indiana Jones uh, and the Temple of Doom, and Gremlins. I think Gremlins might have been the first P, G, thirteen. But I know Temple of Doom was PG, and okay. I want to say maybe it was Poltergeist that was PG. Wow. And like stuff like that. And so what happened was they had to create PG-13 because they needed something in the middle where it's like, yeah, oh, this is scary for little kids, but you know, right. somebody in their teens probably okay. Um, and like this, I mean, okay. Wizards can today. You, can you imagine being 10 years old and just walking into Poltergeist without your parents? I mean, and just watching Poltergeist. That would like what? 
I was traumatized enough watching that movie and um, yeah. my fear of clowns. I don't need that without like having <laughs> any idea. No, thank you. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But yeah, this was PG, which just blew my mind when I saw that. I'm like, holy crap, the stuff you could get away yeah. with. Because there's, and, you know, obviously some of it is like they're non-human characters, but the way that Eleanor is drawn and sexualized okay. throughout the whole movie. Mm. Um, there was at least one of the fairies that's just straight up topless that hop, mm-hmm. that like jumps into one of the fights. Um, and obviously all the, the battle scenes, um, there's a lot of oh, just, yeah. I mean, just people getting mowed down. Well, even, you know, and, and even just the, I, you know, it's, it's hard to put a, a finger on it or a word to it, but even just the tone of the battle scenes, and some of the war footage that is used, it can be very, very disturbing for somebody who's not kind of, oh, yeah. you know, uh, been exposed to that before. Yeah, and and that's not even getting into the uh, propaganda angle of things right. that they right, went right. through, which I wasn't, I wasn't really prepared for, just because I had no idea that that was going to happen. So, like Black Wolf is the bad guy, and he starts unearthing. Um, old ancient technology because that's his mm-hmm. thing is technology and it ends up being that his most powerful weapon is a film projector yeah he the, he calls it the dream machine yes uh that plays exclusively world war ii nazi propaganda films <laughs> it's it well and, and you know it kind of it eases you a little bit into that but mm-hmm. there's such a radical like what the heck moment where um because it's it's fantasy it's you know they set up the the world with the post apocalyptic stuff and everything but it's it's very fantastical it's very foreign and then um about 15 minutes into the movie uh after avatar kind of explains um what they want to do they cut to a scene with black wolf black wolf in his throne room and it's just his throne is situated on a giant red swastika yeah and this is the first time you see anything like that in the movie. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, we're not uh, we're not pulling any punches on this one. It's just yeah, bad guy. Bad guy, by the way. Yeah, um, <laughs> hammered home in that scene, by the way, where uh, which I really want to get into some of these visuals because that that scene in his like throne room just looks so surreal and so cool. Um, they have a uh, yeah. They have they have live uh, or they have live action like uh, smoke footage in the background uh-huh. of like yeah like a smoking cauldron almost. It's really neat. Yeah, um, but that scene where the first time we see the the red swastika on the ground, and that when it ends, when the that lizard creature is like pulling stuff off of meat off of that thing hanging there, and it uh-huh. spins around, you see a star of David on it too. And I was like, yeah, it, yeah, we're just what not subtle at all. Not, nope, not going even full a little force bit. on this one. Whole hog. Um, yeah. So story-wise, I mean, it's basically just Avatar, Eleanor, and the other uh, piece and um, Weehawk going to stop Black Wolf is essentially Our, uh... what's supposed to happen. Uh, but that takes them a while to get there and when weird stuff happens along the way. But that's where kind of we were talking about, like, it's a very simple story. And it's just weird, weird shit that follows them throughout the whole like they run into fairies um and get captured by them but uh by the way did you recognize the voice of sean 
the, the I, one I did recognize the voice of of Prince Sean, yeah, uh, who has about three or four lines in about a one and a half minute sequence in the movie. Um, Mark Hamill, yep, uh, who is who is featured heavily in the marketing, yes, for this uh, because, like you said, it came out the same year as Star Wars. And man, uh, Fox was going to capitalize on that. Oh, absolutely! Uh, but yeah, uh, Mark Hamill's like three lines in the movie, and then and then he gets shot. <laughs> they just <laughs> he gets they just blow him away, and that's it. We don't ever talk about him again. And then nope. like the rest of the fairies apparently don't trust them now. So now they've got them tra- trapped, and they got to rescue Eleanor and and all that. And uh, yeah, it's just it's kind of like a almost like a road trip movie in a way because of that um they get separated for a little while there's some trippy trippy sequences with uh avatar and weehawk at one point mm-hmm. when they're running did you follow most of that where they like run they were in some caves or something so from the moment that um mark hamill's character gets shot mm-hmm to about when avatar finds eleanor because she's been uh taken captive by the fairies in a cave yeah between those two moments, it the movie kind of loses its mind a little bit um, because El- Eleanor is just somehow magically instantly transported mm-hmm. to where she is imprisoned. There is no transition sequence or they don't show her being kidnapped. She's immediately in this prison far, far away. Um, and th- there are some, like you said, some very trippy uh, visuals. Weehawk gets like lost in the darkness and he he's fighting like an invisible enemy with his sword and 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 gets uh gets sidetracked and i don't know i don't know what's going on uh but then avatar climbs down in the cave and everything's fine it's good yeah uh is that where they get separated no it's later on when uh weehawk and weehawk and peace end up off on their own no, that's it's it's during they get separated in the in the cave system. Because, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he got, fights Eleanor, and, yeah, Eleanor and Avatar leave the cave together, and then they meet back up with uh, with Peace and Weehawk uh, in the mountains later on. That's what it is. Okay, um, in the in the wintry snowy mountains, they just happen to run into them. Right, because... they're definitely not Lord of the Rings inspired wintry <laughs> snowy mountain. Exactly. Um, and then we get like the twist or turn where Eleanor, so that's when, uh, like they're going along and then just a tank rolls up on them out of nowhere. Well, it's, uh, well uh, okay. So we, we skip one of the really strangest sequences in this, in this film because it, it does follow a lot of our heroes, but it will cut away to smaller characters and smaller things going on in the world. Um, and a lot of them is if following foot soldiers in Black Wolf's army. Oh, yes, and yes, yes. during in between that time, there is a cutaway to soldiers in Black Wolf's army um, who have who have kind of taken over a town and mm. they are sent. Um, they are sent into a church. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, they don't know what it is. And he's like, what? Uh, you know, one is one of them is like, what's this? And like, it's religion. It's religion, man. You dumb. Um, and they go inside, and it's like filled with old Coke machines and <laughs> pinball machines and stuff. What is all this stuff? It's religion. I told you. Um, and they they find these two like dwarvish priests, 
Um, cause they, you know, they, they say, oh, I guess you need God on your side. Um, right. and they try to convince them to, you know, get, get the townsfolk behind them. And they go into this absolutely wacky, um, uh, Looney Tune sequence where they're like pouring water on each other and spanking each other on the butt. But the voice actors are doing this kind of mumbled prayer the whole time. <laughs> yeah, they're, that's right. Because it was that was the so priest. Strange. It was the priest doing their daily prayers. Right. And, and but but they're doing all this bizarre stuff to each other. Uh it was a trip, man. It was funny as heck. It was crazy, like out of nowhere, and it was funny. And then there's a cutaway and it comes back and it's like we this has been going on for five hours. Let's just leave. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> and they're uh, still yeah, doing we, the whole thing. <laughs> Those cutaways, those cutaways are great. There's the Fritz is dead uh, cutaway mm. early on with the two soldiers, um, which was uh, Ralph Bakshi was actually the voice of Fritz in that. Okay, um, and that was somewhat because uh, was it Harry Crumb had killed the character of Fritz the cat. Oh no! Um, killed my boy because uh, in, in and I don't know if it was in response to Bakshi's movie or not movie adaptation but he had killed that character and so that was sort of ralph wanted to put that in the movie i guess the whole fritz is dead scene which again just it, it like it doesn't fit anywhere but yet it kind of fits the tone when the movie got goofy like that fit but it's also just sort of shoehorned in like this moment with these two soldiers for no reason robert well, it's, crumb it's, harry crumb was a john candy character thank you for <laughs> It's part of the um, a flash an, a, the second uh, exposition scene in the film mm-hmm. uh, because they have the big long exposition exposition scene in the beginning. Then you meet Avatar and he kind of sets up the premise of what the movie's going to be about, and then they immediately go into another exposition scene about how Black Wolf made an army, and um, and then they go into the Fritz's dead scene, which okay. is so strange because. The the Fritz is dead scene that all the all the soldier scenes and a lot of the a lot of the comedy kind of side scenes, it almost feels like there was a different voice director for them because the it feels a lot more improv and the 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 voice acting is a lot more frenetic um, and it it doesn't feel like it it feels a lot more like they just kind of gave you a hey, look, here's the the scene. Go. Uh, instead of lines to read. It does. Those feel... So this movie, like I said, had like a $1.2 million to $2 million budget. So there wasn't a lot of money to make it. And I do feel like part of it was they didn't do many takes of the voice acting. Yeah. Because... The, the, yeah. Oh, there's some lines in here. You're like, oh, that was take one. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, there... the line I talked about earlier, I failed you, my my wizard. I failed you, my president. He says it basically like that. He says, I failed you, my wizard. I failed you, my president. I actually have it's that. Like... It sounds exactly like this. I failed you, my wizard. I failed you, my president. And I'm just thinking it's... like, you're going to go with that one? You don't, you don't want to do another well... one? Was that the read? Was that just him? Was that the original read? And they were like, "Oh, we forgot to get him. We got. We forgot to get him to actually record the line, but we got him reading it uh, That's good as enough. a stand-in." Oh, we we'll put it in there. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a few. There was another one. Um, this one was an, another line like that. Uh, during it was one of it's like a montage leading up to a battle. Um, I think it's actually just before 
the scene with the church and the priests um, was this this line. Because they have weapons and technology, we just have love. And it kind of same thing. Like she, it was like it was like the the actor was reading that for the first time. And they're like, "Cut, print, we got it. Let's move on." Wait, what? You, do you want me to do another? No, you said, like, no, you said all the words. Well, you did it. <laughs> Oh, it was great. By the way, I found the uh, one of the inspirations for Necron 99. It was a comic called Cobalt 60 by Vaughn Bodie. Um, I will actually put a picture of this in uh, my Discord. You can take a look at it. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, it's uh, you can definitely see the, uh, the inspiration. <laughs> like, very heavily uh, yeah, inspired. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh man, that's uh, yeah, that's the looks like concept art for the poster right there. Kind of, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that that scene with the church because that cracked me up when they go inside and it's the religion. You can see the Coca Cola machine uh-huh. and you can see all the technology yeah. stuff like just it's, laying it's around. Religion. What are you dumb? It's religion, man. Um, so there are battle scenes. There's a couple of battle scenes that go on in this, and they are kind of interesting because they they get a very frenetic kind of. style going on um uh, but then there's this use of rotoscoping which was another uh measure that Bakshi wanted to use to try and uh, save some time and save some money so he right. took footage from movies like uh, El Cid and Patton um and rotoscoped I, I saw it. something from Zulu in there as well Zulu as well yes yep yeah. uh it was definitely Zulu, um, El Cid, Patton. There was another one, Alex. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, it's. I mean, it's. It looks great though, man, because it's. Um, it it uh, in their rotoscoping, they really heavily use shadow. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the characters, they they do put some color on some of the closer up shots and and make some of them stylized, but a lot of them they're just black shadow. Yeah. Um. Against and against the the very colorful backdrops that they use, uh, it it's it's this really trippy look to it. And and in both of those battle scenes, I was just wide eyed with my mouth open, like what is going on? Yeah. Um, see, it's it's very divisive that that rotoscoping in this. And he did a very similar thing in the Lord of the Rings. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff with the Nazgul in that was rotoscoped. There's a lot of rotoscope battle because I think they have. His Lord of the Rings goes all the way up to the Battle of Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a lot of that same rotoscope going on there. I love it. I think it's a really cool look because it gives a contrast to his uh, animation style. And there's just something so weird and discordant about it. Um, D- discordant is a really, really good, um, uh, really, really good word to use. Uh, I was, I was going to say visually dissonant yeah um it 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 feels it it's like watching uh symbols being uh clashed in your ears um and you just like you don't know what to look at and it it's just these images flashing at you uh and in one scene there's a nazi tank that's been rotoscoped red and the next one there's a bunch of knights on horses yep <laughs> and then they'll go back to the traditional animation for a few frames and then some of them are regular war footage that either they forgot to rotoscope or it was intentional for whatever reason because it's part of the dream machine and it's just this 
big mess, which really I, I think does a lot of uh, it does service to the to the battle scenes. Oh, for because sure. it, it gives you the kind of that kind of that uh, that panic um, that that you might feel in an in an actual battle. Yeah. Yeah, um, the the actual war footage is the dream machine. Uh, I don't know what he was projecting it onto, but I liked mm-hmm. how that propaganda was used in two different ways too. He used uh-huh. the that propaganda footage to rally his troops and get them going because before that we get the exposition about how he's got his armies, but they can never advance too far because they just get bored partway through. Or they give up, or right. they forget what they're or, fighting or they get, about, or they get scared because they don't have a cause to fight for. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I said, uh, um, in my notes it says gets the goblins and soldiers way hyped, mm-hmm. um, but it also demoralizes the enemy, the the elfin armies. Yep. Yeah. So it, it used it in both both capacities uh, to great effect, and. Yeah, I just uh, I thought that was really interesting uh, use of you know propaganda, and it's like I, I mean he's not subtle in anything in this movie. Um, no, in in this oh the sound. So in addition to the dissonant visuals, the discordant visuals, as he said, um, there is a lot of constantly changing audio mm-hmm. in these um, in these uh, battle scenes and in the movie at large. Um, what really gave me another what is going on moment is at the beginning of the battle uh, of both the battles, actually the, the one in the beginning and the one in the end uh, there's footage of the fully animated footage of the goblins and the, the mutants coming towards the, uh, the good, the elven army and they're playing this funk music. Yeah. <laughs> as, I... as every, everybody kind of walks in rhythm to the funk music, mm-hmm. uh, this big heavy bass, uh, like like the footsteps going through, it's it's wild and it's weird, uh, and it just, it fits somehow. I don't it's, know. It, you know what it is? Is it's got Bakshi's animation and art style feels very nineteen seventies, and oh, that yeah. funk music feels very nineteen seventies, and it, like it fit, and it sort of, you know, I mentioned how it comes out the same year as uh, as Star Wars, and it kind of gives you an idea of what other sci-fi movies were doing at the time. We're doing a lot of these either synthy or like funk soundtracks okay. to a lot of things. What set Star Wars so so much apart was the John Williams score. Like if mm-hmm. I I still to this day believe that if John Will- if they don't tap John Williams through the score of Star Wars with classical in the way that they did. It's a good movie, but it's not remembered the way that it doesn't become Star Wars. That music brought it to a yeah, different level. Totally, totally. The score made, well, I mean, a lot of things made that movie, but right. all the pieces had to come, to come together, and John Williams' score is absolutely one of those things. Yeah, and like, so there were times when I was watching this and I was trying to hear sort of that style of, of music in my head watching the scene, and it doesn't fit the same way. Because you're right, like the movement of the animation fits that kind of funky music. And the, the music was very kind of all over the place, a lot like the rest of the movie. But whether it, it be it's very piecemeal. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 like they they it's like they scored each shot rather than each scene. Um and, and scored it separately and and didn't quite look at how the whole scene score should go. Because you can change pieces of music from mm-hmm. shot to shot over an entire scene that's fine um but they changed they they changed 
pieces. They sh- changed genres during a scene shot by shot, uh, which is, is really, really strange, but fits with overall fits with the uh, the visuals of the movie as well. Yeah. And there was a thing in the 70s with a lot of like overlapping sound, too. I've noticed this when I went back and watched um Jaws, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, I think the French Connection did it too. There's a lot of like background vocals and talking in a movie where they will just talk over each other. And you'll have like a bunch of people in a room and everybody's talking at the same time. And you, it's just this din of, of sound. And then somebody has mm-hmm. to try and, and you're trying to hear uh, your two main characters having their conversation amidst all of this. So you really feel like you're in this room full of people talking. Yeah. The the, uh, the Citizen Kane effect. Yes. Um, every movie after it was like, oh, we need to do that. And and it feels like they were doing similar stuff with animation at the time too. Just this kind of wall of sound. Um, and the music was part of that, I think. Because there's times where like the music mix is weird, where it's lower mm. and you think, oh, I want to hear this music more or it gets louder and then you can't quite hear the dialogue. I don't Maybe it was just the one I was watching. I'm not sure. I don't know who the audio engineers were on this film, but they were they were uh, either very underpaid, uh, very rushed, um, or uh, or or a little unprepared because the the mix is very strange at times. Uh, you can you can pretty much hear all the lines, which is good, um, but the levels, yeah, they 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 fluctuate a lot, um, and it's it's uh, a, a you know, we're going to use this word over and over again. It's a very discordant sound for sure. And I think rushed is probably pretty close. Cause I know one of the things I read was there were no pencil tests done for this movie Ooh. that they just drawings went straight to the final product, which that blows my mind. Just my limited knowledge of animation alone. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know not doing pencil tests is a pretty big thing when you're doing hand drawn animation. Well, and that, that, you know, you can see that then uh, in the backgrounds, especially the backgrounds of Black Wolf's Castle of Scorch, mm-hmm. um, particularly uh, have this ink sketch look to them. Uh, yeah. They look like they are sketched with ink um, rather than having a fine line uh, over, a, over a pencil sketch. Um, they're super detailed. They're really, really cool looking. Um, I mean, this but, whole... Uh, yeah, this whole movie is like seventies prog rock album covers. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. The, it, all, all the backgrounds, uh, so the, good. Oh man, the elf ships mm-hmm. are wa- really gnarly looking, um, have a very similar style, but, um, w- which kind of adds to how, I mean, uh, I don't know what a better way to say it. Kind of disappointingly undetailed. A lot of the, the, the main characters are, um, especially yeah. like, like Weehawk. I looked at Weehawk, and the second time I watched it, I watched the second Elven battle right, right, right near the end there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the the extras, uh, if you could call um, animated characters extras, are more detailed and have more of more of a unique look than Weehawk. Um, it's it's really strange. Um, he but, had a know, very yeah budget man like. And and again, I think that's what it is. There's like that lack of budget and, and time, because Weehawk was of the four main characters, he was the least interesting, um, both visually and like from a story standpoint. He's just kind of the guy that's there. Well, except for one shot, um, which I could not help but notice near the end, 
um, as they're sneaking into uh, as they're sneaking into Black Wolf's castle, and it's just before the final battle with uh, between Avatar and Black Wolf, and um, they're kind of lying on this rock face. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're seeing them from behind. We call We Hawks caked up, man. We Hawks been doing some squats. No, oh. um, they 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 definitely put some uh, put some finer attention to that <laughs> uh, in that in that particular shot. So I was happy to see that detail at least. Well, that's good. I I I, yeah. I do I do want to watch this again because I do want to I do want to watch it and kind of pay you know pay a little bit more attention to certain aspects now that I've seen it once. Um, I might catch stuff like that. Uh, but that- oh, and well, yeah. I mean, and 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 credit to the the animators and the all everybody involved. Um, there is there is a lot of detail to be. Uh, to be seen with uh, with the second and and repeated viewings of this, there's there's a lot going on in this film uh, for such a small budget, uh, despite all its shortcomings. Well, and and I actually like. So I mentioned how I like the rotoscoping part because I think that just adds like a layer of stuff. But I also liked I, I the uh, I liked the still frame uh, exposition stuff too. Didn't bother me. Um, I think maybe you know throwing it in the middle of the movie was kind of like a, we didn't have time to finish this. So here we go. I think, I think what bothered me about the still frames is the still frames accentuated the budget restrictions on the animation. Yeah. Because the still frames, while they're drawn in the same overall style, they're really uh, detailed. Uh, mm-hmm. They are very well shaded and they just, they show you what, if several, if more time and more money had gone into this film, how much better it could have looked uh, in general? Yeah, um, because because those stills are are really uh, really really beautiful. Like they're really good looking. Yeah, and there's even there's like uh, there was a close up shot of Black Wolf during I think it's the final battle where it's just his face and all that moves is his eyes as he's kind of mm-hmm. looking around the battlefield. Gorgeous uh, piece of art that unfortunately you know does show some of the shortcomings you're right of some of the other animation because that just looks so good but in a way too like with the jumbled kind of tones and tonal shifts and everything i can i can give some leeway to some of those animation things because that same like the fairies have a very uh saturday morning cartoon kind of design to them they're meant to look like uh, saturday morning cartoon came to mind uh, several times in that movie um, but yeah, they, they, yeah, they're very simple, simply drawn, a lot of repeated frames. Yep. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it was a very busy scene too. Uh, and they did what they could. So. Yeah. But I definitely think that this is a, a worthwhile movie to see, uh, if you like animation, especially, and, and this is a good kind of, uh, entry into watching Ralph Bakshi, um, stuff because, this was his idea of making a family film, by the way. Uh, he's actually said in interviews, like, yeah, I wanted to try and make a, a family movie, something for kids. And he, he made Wizards. Um, yeah, well, well, there's not, you know, there, there's violence and there's some, some sexualized characters, but there's, there's not really anything, uh, there's definitely nothing pornographic. No. Uh, there's, there's nothing, um, you know, I, I wouldn't feel horrible about watching this with, 
if I if I had a kid watching this with my kid with a little guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if it gets too scary, we can turn off the scary parts. You know, yeah. it's it's not it's not awful. It's and it's there are um, you know I grew up in the uh, in the eighties and nineties, and I mean, shoot, man, the the brave little toaster uh, oh. scared the crap out of me. So this this is not that too far a cry from that. No, um, it, it some it, some detailed nipples aside. Yes. Uh, no, you're, you're right. I, and, and I think it's a good, like I say, it's a good kind of entry point for Ralph Bakshi. I do think if you liked this, um, watching his Lord of the Rings, uh, adaptation in knowing sort of, it was the same era and probably a similar ish budget, um, and time restriction. So you can kind of see some of that, but that same animation style, it, he did have more time with that. So there's a little bit less of like those really discordant imagery. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more consistent, but uh, there's that. There's Fire and Ice, which was 1983 that he did. That's really good. Uh, kind of a fantasy, another fantasy type thing, but more, I think more high fantasy, less sci-fi. Okay. If I remember, it's been forever since I've seen that one. I think um, I think it's pretty obvious that he, uh, if he didn't love it, he was heavily inspired by Lord of the Rings. He, he, he he's, uh, he's definitely into fantasy and making his own fantasy stuff. Yeah. And then if you get through those, um, going back to see stuff like, uh, if you can find them, um, his early stuff, from what I hear, it's very challenging, but it's also interesting. So that's kind of, I haven't gone that far yet with Ralph Bakshi, but, uh, I'm curious to at some point just you know try to try to get through like either Fritz or high traffic heavy traffic. Um, there was, the '70s had a lot of interesting animation going on. Richard Williams was another one doing some crazy animation at that time. That was when he did his Raggedy Ann and Andy, which I've only seen clips that- clips of. But whew, boy, that's uh, that's like an LSD trip. That movie. <laughs> that is. This isn't, but that is. Well, okay, I mean well, that that that's the thing. If you think this is trippy, uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy will will take you some, some places. All right, say that. all right. Um, but I love like this old these older animation pieces, even older Disney animation. Some of the stuff they were doing in this era is like their lesser known or their lesser liked projects because it's not mm-hmm. the it's not the really old stuff and it's not the Renaissance. It's not uh, Little Mermaid and later. Mm-hmm. But there's something about these kind of late 60s to mid 80s animation either from disney or others don bluth doing stuff at the time secret of nim um comes to mind is like they there's something about that era and that style of animation uh that was going on that they took a lot of risks they took chances on things that for me was very interesting um and and a lot of fun to watch even if it didn't always hit the bullseye or you know would be like like this movie where it's like, it's kind of a weird story. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but yet I had a really good time with it too because they were trying something. They were going in directions and you can tell they're really enjoying what they're doing. Well, it's uh, the whole period um, is, is kind of a animation goes to college. Yeah. And is, is animation finding itself uh, and it going in all these different directions and, and you, you know, you end up, uh, with with obviously some people end up um, with uh, with Disney and some people end up with uh, Saturday morning cartoons and there continues to be um, uh, not so much uh, in the late 80s and 90s but 
today, you know, a lot of uh, adult uh, animation, not necessarily, you know, of, of a of a a sexual nature or anything like that but for there's uh there's a things you can do in the animation medium that you can't do uh in others and stories you can tell visually uh with animation and uh, a lot of you know mature and, and good storytelling in animation as well and i think a lot of that came out of the 70s uh experimentation with it. yeah I, I feel like it's a lot like uh when comic books were starting to either um mature or get a little bit darker as they came out of the comics code era mm -hmm. and we came yeah. out of the silver age and things got less you'd still have the goofy wacky stuff but it wasn't like every comic was like that right and it was same thing here you're right the animation goes to college is a great way to put it like <laughs> it's maturing it's opening up it's experimenting and trying some different stuff because i I hate when people are like, ah, oh, animation is just for kids. Cartoons are only for kids. Like, no, it's absolutely not. It never has been. It, it was never just for kids. And and uh, it's so reductive to say that because there's so much that you can do with animation that and the, the, the things you can experiment with and try out uh, and stories that can be told uh, in short form or long form. I actually really love uh, animation shorts. Um, mm -hmm. We used to get... I remember growing up, my parents would get these like either laser discs, um, which is dating myself a little bit, or uh, later on there would be um, VHS tapes, and they would be these collections of animation shorts from like Canada or film festivals and stuff. And they were amazing because some of them, I'm like, I don't know what I'm watching right now, and it makes zero sense whatsoever, but I'm just drawn into it. And that's that. It reminds me, watching something like this reminds me of that. Uh, what I what I love about animation uh, is that you can tell uh, any kind of story you want. You don't have to be able to find or make the thing you want to photograph. You just have to be able to draw it, mm -hmm. and you can you can put the camera wherever you want, and you can move the camera however you want. Yeah, um, it is it is limitless uh, aside from being you know, a two D. Uh, uh, a 2D representation, but uh, it just opens up uh, visual storytelling so much. Uh, the animation medium does. Yeah, it really, really does. And it watch more animated stuff, people. Just everybody, like, in embrace that. It it isn't all Disney cartoons. Like animation can go in so many different directions. Both, you know, there's stuff today like Big Mouth where I've seen that and I just can't quite get into it, but I understand the appeal to it or there's stuff that is kind of universal and like anybody from seven or eight year old kids to, you know, 35, 40 year old adults can watch it and appreciate it. I like, uh, the one that I always think of with that recently was Phineas and Ferb it was a cartoon series that my stepson at the time loved. And I could sit and watch with him because it was so well produced <laughs> and it was so enjoyable that it didn't, it never felt like it was pandering to kids, but it was definitely mm -hmm. aimed at kids. Yeah. And and then there's other stuff, you know, you get you move on and you see stuff like Adventure Time, which Adventure Time was heavily influenced by Wizards. You can kind of uh, feel yeah. that. I was watching, yeah, I was watching Adventure Time and yeah, it take, takes place in a very similar world. Mm -hmm. Um and but yeah, uh, Adventure Time, I was watching that in college uh and having a blast. Uh, oh, yeah. It's it's hilarious. And and I mean, you look at yeah, all all the um the kind of cartoon cartoon um yeah, uh, and that that wasn't a that wasn't a uh, uh, a mistake there. The cartoon cartoon show led a lot of 
animators put out a lot of cool and weird pilots that mm-hmm. a whole lot of um, Cartoon Network classic came that came out of Cartoon Network classics came out of. Yeah. Um, you know, Cow and Chicken came out of that. The Powerpuff Girls came out of that. Adventure Time came out of that. Yep. Um, all these all these really uh, really cool really well produced shows that were like you said aimed at kids, but really any anybody of any age can um, uh, can enjoy them just because of like you said how well produced they are. Um, well written, well animated, and just interesting con- concepts that came out of that that blender there. Yeah, um, and Phil in the chat brings up one I was just about to say: Liquid Television on MTV, mm-hmm. and some of that stuff from the the early earlier days of MTV was like you can tell that if it wasn't Richard Williams or Ralph Bakshi or some of these other people that they were influenced by them. Bakshi actually did a couple of cartoon cartoons. Um, okay, or the What a Cartoon Show, I think it was because he did. Uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm and Melvin. Yeah, it was it was the What a Cartoon Show before it was Cartoon Cartoon. I believe. Yeah, because yeah. um, he did Malcolm and Melvin, uh, and then okay. uh, a, another one of that called Babe. He calls me. Um, All right. And those were both Ralph Bakshi. So like, I, yeah, I love watching that evolution of animation and seeing things. Even stuff like Ren and Stimpy. Um, mm. You know, it, that was one that played on Nickelodeon with like Rugrats. And how I don't understand, dude. I have watched some <laughs> clips from that because I hadn't watched it since I was since I was a kid, and my mm-hmm. parents did not let me watch it. I had nope. to sneak it, mm-hmm. and I watched some clips from it, and I was like, "No wonder my parents didn't let me watch this. This is not for children. No, this is ridiculous. No, and to think that that hit Nickelodeon the same at the same time as like Doug. Yeah. No, this 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 needs to be on a block with Beavis and Butthead, not. Uh, not with, uh, and I, did it, did it for a while? Was it on MTV? Uh, if it, it didn't, that's where it belonged. It, I not, th- it didn't, yeah, it did not, should not have played between Rugrats and, uh, uh Rocco's Modern Life. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but that's, again, those are like the, the fun things that animation can do and the, the places mm-hmm. that it can go. Cause you can have, uh, something like Doug, which is innocuous and very, very like wholesome. And then Ren and Stimpy, and they can run at the same. They can be created at the same time, and it's like share wow. an hour block, <laughs> which they never should have. But I, I was know. the same way. My parents would not let me watch Ren and Stimpy, and <laughs> there was a reason for that, and I understand it. Um, oh yeah, I get it now. But so, does this make you want to watch some more Ralph Bakshi uh, animation? Uh, Do you want to check out Fire and Ice or Lord of the Rings? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I watched it uh, and uh, uh, just watching it in the mode in the original experience. Uh, I sp- half two thirds of the movie just with my eyes wide and my and <laughs> ca- catching flies with my mouth, uh, just uh, not knowing what was going on, but uh, but loving it, uh, just loving the the cacophony, um, both for my eyes and ears uh, of that movie. That's great. Uh, yeah, use of I'll cacophony. definitely check some more. Oh yeah, it's wonderful use of cacophony, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, his. So there is one thing. So I grew up on uh, on the Rankin Bass Hobbit movie. I don't know if you were, if you've seen that one before or not, but it was uh, animated. Oh yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So like that was my introduction to Tolkien. Was seeing that mm-hmm. for the first time. I actually, it's a it's a really fun story. I saw it in a pizzeria. They had like I watched my I watched it in school. Nice. Yeah, there was this pizzeria and they had like a back area and they had a giant front projection TV back there. And my family, we went there for dinner one night, we sat down and they had just started playing The Hobbit on there. 
And so we ended up there for an hour and a half eating dinner, watching that movie because I, w- I didn't want to leave. Um, but the I saw that first and then later on I saw The Lord of the Rings and Gollum is in both of those, mm-hmm. but he's so different. That, that was my exact thought when I saw Gollum in, uh, what was it, in uh, 99 or 2000 when the, the Fellowship of the Rings came out. And the, you only really see him in shadow in the in the in the fellowship of the ring but in the two towers you see him and i was like that's not Gollum. Gollum <laughs> looks like a weird compound eye fish dude <laughs> he does uh, he does but that's he... not it's not how he's described in the book but that's how he looks in that in that animated movie for sure oh man that that animated movie like all my thoughts on hobbit come from that uh-huh. it's just burned into my brain so <laughs> when i first saw bakshi's uh lord of the rings and Gollum is in that He's he doesn't have like a weird raspy voice at all. He just mm-hmm. sounds like a dude, and it threw yeah, me. Yeah. It, it throws you because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So when you do watch that, just be prepared for it. Because <laughs> you can be like, oh, it's got oh, what the hell is he? What is that voice? Like I've never just heard. Like, he doesn't sound hey at guys, all like Andy. Gollum. Yeah, basically, uh, it's so Where's weird. Precious. He sounds more like Samwise than he does Gollum. <laughs> it's so, so strange. Um, well, I'm really glad that you uh, offered this movie up and, and wanted to watch this one because this was super fun. Um, Heck yeah, man. I, did, I have a couple more sound clips that I wanted to play because these were too good. First of all, I might start using this as an exclamation because it just cracked me up. Holy chrome! Holy Chrome. Holy Chrome. They and then uh Weehawk and Avatar both say that several yeah. times in the movie. Um so it's a it's 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 kind of an in-world exclamation. And I love little things like that where they're like, "Oh, what do what do people say in this world when they're surprised?" Um I, I love little bitty world building things like that. So. That is that is some great world building. It's kind of like the first time I watched Firefly and something would happen and they would swear in in really bad Chinese. <laughs> And it was that type of thing where it's like, it's such a small thing, but it just fits and it, may, it gives you like this quick introduction into the world when you get right. these little exclamations. Um, uh, Farscape did that really well too, where they would come mm-hmm. up with their own swearing and their own exclamations. So Holy Chrome might become something that I say a lot. <laughs> um, there was also uh, the scream. So Weehawk, uh, when he first fights, because... So that whole sequence, you've got the two, Weehawk and his buddy, who is nameless, and they start riding on their horse, their horses or whatever those camel things were, and it's like, well, I wonder which one of these guys is going to be our hero, and then immediately one of them just gets blown away right off his camel. It's like, well, it's not him. Yep. Uh, And we get that chase, which that chase was really good. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, And then... I think I think I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was the first time I said mm, they reused that. Uh, oh yeah, there a couple was... of times in that. It felt almost Scooby Doo ish, but if Scooby Doo had really, really spectacular backgrounds. Yes, instead uh, of the same ten feet, the same ones. Yeah, every every episode. Um, but after that whole chase sequence, and then uh, he Weehawk shot um, Necron ninety nine's camel, mm-hmm. and Necron ninety nine comes walking up, snaps the twig, and it's like. No hesitation on Weehawk's part. He hears that twig snap, turns around, and just lets out. Ah! 
It's like, dude. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> he's a screamer. Uh, he's uh, he's definitely got a little toot on him. Yeah, he does. Uh, we need a little uh, little bit of uh, anger management, I think, would do, yeah. <laughs> do him wonders. Uh, and finally, we had, um, well, as I said, Bob Holt did his avatar voice as Peter Falk. Um, and so at the end... We didn't even mention the showdown between oh, Black we, Wolf and Avatar. We have to Avatar. talk about that. It's because it's such it's such a spectacular little um, <laughs> subversion. Oh yes, uh, of, of the epic final battle. Because um, it, do, you, do you mind if I like go for explain it? it? Uh, it's okay. So the beginning is set up, and it's it's this sepia toned still of this epic battle of, of clash of swords and and spells and lightning going between the two wizards and avatar emer- the good wizard emit- emerges victorious and peace reigns across the land uh and then at the end the two brothers meet again mm-hmm. and avatar is this dumpy old guy and black wolf is um is this uh necromantic um half skeletonized uh evil dude and he just kind of stands there while uh avatar just just talk shit about him yeah for like a minute and he's like i look i look more like mom you look like an idiot you're dumb i'm gonna show you something that mom never mom taught me when you went around and he just pulls a gun and he shoots him <laughs> and that's it it was so good i want to know now did george lucas get inspired by that for raiders of the lost ark at all oh that's a that's a really good question because it's because... such a great subversion of that moment you mm-hmm. you're ready for this big battle and he's just like pulls a luger out and pulls shoots out a luger. <laughs> But before he does, One shot through the heart, done. Yep. But before he does, we get. Oh yeah, one more thing. And I was like, okay, yep. Throughout the whole movie, I'm thinking, boy, he's really doing a Peter Falk thing. But you know, I, I'm I'm just wondering. And then when he did that line, I'm like, oh yeah, they're leaning into it. It's totally yeah. him being Peter Falk. Uh, and then he pulls out the <laughs> Luger and just shoots him, and that's it. That ends everything. Like. He shoots Black Wolf, and the castle collapses, and everything's good again. That's all it took. Uh, it was. Just, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's such a great subversion. Uh, is the perfect word for it. So, yeah, uh, I I love that. This this movie's is fantastic. This is a fun movie for for it as is, zany as it is. It's weird, but there's 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 a lot of funny stuff in it, and a lot of a uh, lot of eye candy in it and um i yeah i would highly recommend giving it a watch just for if nothing else for its novelty oh Uh, because it's like nothing else i've ever seen you know it's it's one of those things where i don't want a remake of wizards because it is a product of its time it's a product of its of its creator i don't want necessarily a remake of wizards but i want a remake of wizards because i want more of it I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, they made Rings of Power or whatever. I'd like to see Amazon put a billion dollars into making a gritty live action reboot of Wizards. Because you could, there's a lot, it's a simple story, but you could really stretch this out into a few seasons of television. There's a lot of world Mm -hmm. um, to explore in here. Uh, And I would love to see a reboot of this film. 
Because that's just it. They spent so much on the world, and mm-hmm. there, there's so much interesting just there that uh, I'm with you. I think a series would be the way to go with it. Um, Absolutely. And just flesh that out. And let it be the simple story that they they told in this movie. Just mm-hmm. just stretch it out and give it more. Well, and beef up those characters. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I think there's a lot there. And you can even throw in those fun little interstitials of like just goofiness like Fritz. They killed Fritz. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and he's like, I, lo- I just want to come back to that one because he's like, he's freaking out. They killed Fritz and he just starts shooting in all directions. Like, and then I'm Fritz, okay. <laughs> Fritz just stands I'm o- up. I'm fine. Look, it's just a scratch. I'm fine. And then he shoots him accidentally. He gets and- <laughs> mad that he's alive. You step on my moment. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Ralph Bakshi did the voice of Fritz. He was also the voice of the um, when the 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 other one where it's the two guys and the one guy's like, I don't want to hurt things anymore. That was also yeah. Ralph Bakshi <laughs> doing that voice. I I, I want to respect all life. I don't want to hurt things anymore. Oh, but uh, Black Black Wolf's got a got a uh, got a weapon. And we'd be invincible. We can't lose. Oh, let's go. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for being on this week. This was a super. Uh, this was a great conversation, and uh, we definitely need to do this again. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, I'd love to come back. So, when you're not coming here to talk about '70s animation with me, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me in all sorts of places. I, I, uh, you can find me on YouTube, where I make uh, totally serious reviews, satirical video game and and, and movie reviews, uh, which I think are pretty funny. You can find me on TikTok, where I like to take my shirt off. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, where I where I shit post a lot, um, and you can find me at uh, Botched Podcast. Uh, we uh, we stream live here Monday and Tuesday nights on twitch.tv slash Botch Podcast. And you can find our D&D improv comedy podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Excellent. Yeah, Botched Podcast, it's great. Uh, you guys are all wonderful. Um, and uh, I had a great time coming on the D&D stuff with that was... That's still like, I wasn't prepared you, for for what we did. Now, that you was know, you were on our our mech episode, right? Uh, no, it was U.S. Acres Garfield. Oh, oh yes! Oh my goodness! <laughs> that was so so <laughs> the murder mystery in in U.S. Acres, which is a it's a Patreon only episode on patreoncom slash Uh <laughs> It's it's worth it to sign up for just for that because that went places. Oh, yeah. That was it was weird. <laughs> it was so Dennis made made my childhood so creepy. <laughs> I know. Oh, but yeah, botched is great. Um, I caught you guys last week. What was what was the movie you were watching last Monday? Uh, I wasn't on there, but I think I believe they were watching. Um, oh shoot, what were they watching? Roadhouse. Oh, that's right, Roadhouse. Yes, yes, uh, that was fun. So definitely check out Botched Podcast. Where you can hear, uh, you can hear more of Steve. It was, I mean, Phil Keating, who's been on the show. Dennis has been on a couple of times. Uh, everybody over there is great. Uh, it's wonderful. You're all welcome back anytime. So, uh, now if you enjoy this show, uh, you can catch it live Sunday nights at Twitch.tv/tvstravis, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Uh, anywhere that you can get podcasts uh, or uh, TVstravis.com. Uh, is the is another place to find it. Now, next week, uh, I have Austin Rude 
is coming back, and uh, he's never seen Apollo 13. So we're going to watch that. I, I haven't seen that movie in years, but I like Ron Howard. So I'm curious to see how this movie held, holds up for me, if I like it as much as I remember. Um, mm-hmm. It's got Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon. You know, how can you go wrong, right? But Austin's never seen it before, so I'm, I'm curious to see what he thinks. So that is going to be next week. And then after that, we are rolling into October, and we've got some fun stuff in October coming. So keep an eye out for that. You can find me on Twitter at TV's Travis uh, or pretty much any social media. If I ever start finally getting back to posting on Instagram or TikTok, uh, it's the same same thing. I won't be taking my shirt off on TikTok, though. I won't subject you people to that. So uh, that'll be so next week, uh, Apollo 13 with Austin Rude. Steve, thank you so much for being here. This has been super fun. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Excellent. And just remember uh, to enjoy your movies, everybody, and uh, let's be excellent to each other. This has been what you haven't seen. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>